Well, welcome back to another Wednesday night Bible study. And tonight we're up to Isaiah chapter 55. It's a short chapter, just 13 verses. And uh, we're just maybe within about half an hour, less than that perhaps, we'll get through that chapter. The rest of the time, uh, Pastor Murray is going to join me. And uh, we just want to have a Q&A, answer your questions. So hopefully you've thought about what we've covered. Uh, really, this is, I think this is week 20. If it's not week 20, maybe it's week 21. But we've, we've been through a lot of content in 2nd Isaiah, beginning at chapter 40. We're now up to chapter 55. And so if there's any content as we've covered these chapters that's new or troubling or you just want to reinforce, please uh, get those questions ready. We'll look uh, for those questions on the chat. We'll also look for them on Facebook and uh, answer them live here. So let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll begin the study for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we're just in awe of you. We're in awe of the power of your word. And we thank you, Father, for giving your word to the ancient prophets and then putting in our heart, our hearts, the desire to uncover and dig out the meaning uh, of your word. We thank you, we praise you that we have the opportunity to study Isaiah together. And we pray, God, that you will deepen our understanding deepen our faith, and just bless us, Father, as we hunger and thirst for your righteousness. We praise you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen. So as I mentioned, we're up to Isaiah chapter 55. Now, before I go further, I do want to mention that uh, next week, just because of uh, travel, I'm going to be uh, unable to do Wednesday night. Uh, so next week, we will have Bible study God willing, on Thursday evening. Usually, even if I'm traveling, I like to record it so that we stay consistent with Wednesday evening. But I'm traveling Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, uh, and I'm not going to be able to do that. So God willing, we'll have Bible study on Thursday evening next week. So with that, let's get into Isaiah chapter 55. And what I want to do today, uh, just before we get into chapter 55, is I want to uh, back into it through Zechariah. So all the prophets are saying the same thing. They all uh, synchronize and reconcile with the message of the prophet Isaiah. As we mentioned many times, uh, Isaiah is a Bible within the Bible. It's a mini Bible. And so here in Zechariah, before we go into chapter 55, let's look at what he says here in Zechariah chapter 2, a prophecy of the end time. And he says here, I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then said I, and that sort of gives us, uh, makes us mindful of Revelation chapter 11, when John uh, had to measure through the, the temple. So here he says, Then said I, Where are you going? And he said unto me, To measure Jerusalem. Okay, so he's on his way to measure Jerusalem. To see what is the breadth thereof, and what is the length thereof. Hmm. So the focus of God in the end time is Jerusalem. And here is an angel that's going to Jerusalem to measure it. This has to do with real estate and being very specific about the breadth and the length of Jerusalem. And behold, the angel that talked with me went forth, <clears throat> and another angel went out to meet him. Hmm. Okay, so these two angels are now meeting, and one says to the other, and said unto him, Run! This is urgent. Run! Speak to this young man. Okay, maybe this is the prophet. So the angel meets the other angel and says, Run, don't walk, you run and speak to this young man, saying, very specific message, Jerusalem shall be inhabited. 
as towns without walls for the multitude of men and cattle therein. So in the end time, when Jerusalem is being slaughtered, when Jerusalem is being devastated, when Jerusalem is desolate, there is an urgent message to be sent to the prophet by the angel to say, don't worry about what you see. Don't worry about the evil will of men. Jerusalem shall be inhabited. And it's going to be so full of men and cattle. It's going to be, it's going to be prosperous and abundant and just full of life. So run to the man, run to this young man and tell him, despite what you see with your eyes, Jerusalem will be full of life. Why? How do we know this? For I, says the Lord, will be unto her a wall of fire round about. So America, or at least some politicians in America, don't believe in walls, but God believes in walls. And God is going to be a wall of fire around Jerusalem. And he's going to cast all of her enemies out. And, and nothing unclean will be able to enter into Jerusalem because God will consume with fire anything unclean that tries to enter Jerusalem. For I, this is God speaking, for I, so how do we know Jerusalem will be full of life in the end? Because God says that he will be unto her a wall of fire round about and will be the glory in the midst of her. So God is coming to live in Jerusalem and he's going to be the glory in the midst of Jerusalem. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north. So because we've, we've uh, identified Jerusalem, and it's not all over the place, it's not anywhere on the earth, there's a specific spot of real estate that must be measured out, the length and the, length and the width thereof, so we know the specific real estate we're talking about that's going to be full of life. Now because we've located Jerusalem, we can now locate the arch enemy of Jerusalem. Who is the arch enemy of Jerusalem, the Antichrist? is north of Jerusalem. So in the land north of Jerusalem, this is the arch enemy of Jerusalem. And this is where all the world is going to be confederate with this power. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north. So this is the source of the devastation of Jerusalem. And God, upon his return, releases his people from this bondage, from the land of the north, says the Lord. For I have spread you, so God is saying, I'm the one who did this. I have spread you abroad, according to the covenant. I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, says the Lord. So that's why when Christ returns, he collects his elect from the four corners of the earth because God has spread them to the four corners of the earth by the four winds of the earth, for the four winds of the heaven. He says now, in this end time, when God is acting on behalf of Jerusalem, he says, deliver yourself, O Zion, that dwells with the daughter of Babylon. So again, it's the land north of Jerusalem, and the focus is Babylon. Just as there's a very real piece of real estate called Jerusalem, there's a very real piece of real estate called Babylon. And so this is the end time Babylon, and God is saying now to his people, to deliver yourself. He's going to, in Zechariah 12, he shows us that Judah will, will be like the strength of God. And so he's going to give these people supernatural power to deliver themselves. So deliver yourself, O Zion, that dwells with the daughter of Babylon. Because this is what the Lord says. For thus says the Lord of hosts, 
after the glory has he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. So God will be glorified. And he's coming and he's going after the enemy nations, the confederate nations. Why? Because of the glory. That he told us in Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 42, that he will not give his glory to another. And so these Gentile nations, these evil people, have come into Jerusalem and they have tried to steal the glory and give it to another. And God says, after the glory has he sent me unto the nations which spoiled you. So there's been a controversy and there's been blasphemy and God is coming to set things right. And now listen to what he says. Because he that touches you, that is his people, that is Zion, that is the people of Judah and Israel. He that touches you touches the apple of his eye. So, wow, this is something else. So, after the glory has God sent Christ unto the nations, which spoiled Israel and Judah, and whoever touches Israel or Judah touches the apple of God's eye. This is, that is like the most, the most precious thing for God, is his people. And so we read earlier last week in Genesis that God said to Abraham that anybody who curses you, and that is the covenant to you, they'll be cursed. And whoever blesses you, they'll be blessed. And so that covenant went down to Isaac, and then it cascaded, cascaded down to Jacob. And anybody who curses Jacob, God will personally curse. I, I would not want to be on this earth as an enemy to God. And so we need to get this gospel message out and give people time to consider and reflect and repent. And to ensure that they are not touching the apple of God's eye. So with that uh, background or, or prelude from Zechariah, because all the prophets say the same thing, and almost every chapter we cover in Isaiah, we can go to another prophet to see the, the very same message. So with that, understanding that um, I, um, Israel is the apple of God's eye. It, it, it's most precious to him. Let's now come into chapter 55. And here he says, Ho! Everyone that thirsts, and so in a time of devastation, in a time of desolation, you're going to have a lot of thirsty people. So, but now he's speaking to his people, and he's saying, everyone that thirsts, come you to the waters. There's no reason to be thirsty. Come to the waters. And he that has no money, come you, buy and eat. So they have no money, and yet God is inviting them to come and buy without money. Come you, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So all of a sudden now, money doesn't matter. But there is an exchange that they can have in order to access these blessings. And it has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with their heart. That simply come, acknowledge who their God is, acknowledge their rebellion to their God, and, and give him their whole heart, as, as Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 30. And that's the exchange. You give me your whole heart, and I will bless you beyond measure. And this has nothing to do with money. 
very hard for us as humans to comprehend. Now, I want to mention this. Timothy says, that, or, or Paul says to Timothy, that the love of money is the root of all evil. And so if we want to understand how our world operates today, this is the root of the evil. This, we live in a very, very evil world. Very evil. And there's a, there's a covetousness in the earth for money. People want for themselves, and they will do anything, say anything, be anything for money. And that's certainly what we are seeing. Uh, it's how we can understand the world that we live in. That this is a very, very strange world we live in. And there's a real, uh, the explanation uh, we're seeing from Scripture is the love of money. Here, uh, a recent article, this is in Deutsche Welle, German uh, news magazine. And he says, the EU and the Arab League are forging connections at the first desert summit. Oh, this is interesting. All of a sudden in the end time, the desert is coming into focus. And Christ tells us that when they tell us that Christ has returned and he's in the desert, do not go, which indicates to us that the people of the desert have the upper hand in the end time. And their voice is loudest in the end time. And that they have a prophecy that indicates that Christ is coming to them and coming to the desert in the end time. And Christ tells us in Matthew 24, do not believe them. But this is uh, very, very interesting that the European Union and the Arab League are in collusion together. Very fascinating development. And I just want to scroll down to a part of this article here. This woman, uh, Frederica Mogherini, who is the uh, foreign minister for the European Union, one of the European Union countries, she says here, uh, let me just read this, Mogherini emphasizes agreement. We agree on 90 to 95% of issues. Isn't that wonderful? that the EU and the Arab League and all the foreign ministers agree on 90 to 95% of the issues. It's funny what money can do. When the Arab nations strike oil to the tune of trillions and trillions of dollars and can float money in front of people's faces, it's funny how quickly you can agree with things. We agree on 90 to 95% of issues, Mogherini said, after a preparatory meeting between Arab and European foreign ministers. She said this is also the case regarding the position on the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. So as far as the Israel and Palestinian conflict goes, the Arabs and the Europeans agree. She explained that the agreed solution is to establish a Palestinian state that can exist parallel to Israel. That's really interesting because we have 1400 years of history that show that the borders of Islam drip with blood. There is no Islamic nation that doesn't have blood on its borders. But here the Europeans have come up with this wonderful solution to establish a Palestinian state that can exist parallel to Israel. Both states could have Jerusalem as their capital. What a wonderful idea. Isn't that fascinating? That both states can have Jerusalem as their capital. I wonder how long that peaceful solution is going to last. In this way, the EU and the Arab League are distancing themselves from the US administration's position. 
U.S. President Donald Trump sent a clear signal by transferring the U.S. Embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And then we also see this uh, article here that Turkey is aiming to head a global Islamic Union governed by Sharia. So we've got the Islamic countries all coming together, and it looks like Turkey, as far as the Sunni Muslims go, mm -hmm. is going to be the, the, the leading power. And then we have these nations, uh, or, or this con these confederate nations, now being in confederation with Europe as well. So all of Europe is now kowtowing to the desires of the Arab League. And then we see uh, our... Uh, our the the Pope, I guess the uh, much of the world, 1.3 billion people look to this man as uh, the vicar standing in place of Christ. You, we see him kowtowing to the Arab League, the, the the Muslim nations, the Pope and top Muslim cleric in joint call for freedom of belief, and so he's now uh, working with them. And it says here, it's a very interesting statement here, where he says Francis. This, this uh, paragraph right here says, Francis has made outreach to Muslim communities a cornerstone of his papacy. Is, is, and so he's on this visit. So th this is the cornerstone of his papacy, outreach to Muslim communities. Uh, the Quran, which denies the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, denies the deity of Christ, and yet this vicar standing in the place of Christ is happy to have collusion with the Islamic world. And we know that there's going to be a political beast, but there's also going to be a religious beast, which is going to tell the world to worship the political beast. So we see all of this uh, unfolding, very interesting. Also this article here that the Pope likens migrants to Jesus. The, the Popes liken migrants to Jesus. As Vatican top dog says, hunted Christian Asiya Bibi is an internal matter of Pakistan. So he's quite willing to abandon a Christian, uh, true um, refugee, a true uh, persecuted Christian who been falsely charged with blasphemy. And if you don't know about this case, please Google it, Asiya uh, Bibi. And he's like, oh, it's an internal matter for Pakistan. So the fact that these people are braying for her blood, she can't, even though she's been uh, exonerated, uh, she can't get out of the country because all the mob just want to hang her and tear her apart limb from limb, all because of a false blasphemy charge. And the Pope says, oh, it's an internal matter. So we see day by day, everything is just taking shape exactly as the scripture said it would. And so back in Isaiah now, uh, so, and, and the explanation we understand very, very clearly is this love of money. That because human beings love money, uh, they're easily twisted, uh, look at the American political situation, look at the Canadian political situation, all around the world, the European situation. Behind all of this evil, it starts with the love of money, then they get into sexually compromising positions, and then they're just like puppets for the rest of their lives. And they put on a nice suit and tie or a nice dress, and they're very articulate, and they come out and they make all these statements to the public, and we have no idea of the evil and corruption that's driving them. But the Bible tells us what's really going on here. Back to Isaiah um, in, in 52, uh, he says, you know, the whole issue here was that money is not needed. And in chapter 52, he says, you've sold yourselves for nothing and you'll be redeemed without money. So there's this big theme in Isaiah around the uh, lack of the need for money.
and so they don't they, they don't need money to buy and, and to have water and, and, and the fatness of the land and nor do is money needed to redeem them there's going to be no corruption here it's going to be a true love affair between God and his people he's going to redeem them out of love for them and they're going to be redeemed out of their true deep love for him so he asked the question here back to 55 why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which doesn't satisfy hearken diligently unto me and eat you that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fatness so now he's telling them to hearken unto him and this is very interesting because it's in contradistinction or in opposition to the original prophecy in Isaiah which said that they'll hear but they won't understand they'll see but they won't perceive their heart will be fat and their ears heavy lest they should see and, and be converted that he doesn't want this and then the prophet asked well how long until the cities are wasted and without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land is utterly desolate that's when this curse will be lifted and so we actually see the curse lifted now in second Isaiah because second Isaiah begins with this command to comfort his people and to speak comfortably to Jerusalem and to tell her that her warfare is ended so she has to be subjected to this warfare and then when the city is desolate that's when this curse is lifted so the remnant who survive all of this God is lifting the blindness from their eyes. He's lifting the deafness from their ears. He's taking the fat from their hearts so that they can actually see and acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And they can truly wholeheartedly give their heart to him. And so her warfare is accomplished and her iniquity is pardoned. And, and so now the message is that instead of this uh, blindness and deafness to God, now he says, incline your ear and come unto me here now they can hear here and your soul shall live this this is how you live you don't need money you just need to hear here and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant this is an everlasting covenant never believe anybody who says that God is done with the Jews or God is done with Israel it's just not true he's going to make an everlasting this is the second this is the new covenant this is what Jeremiah 31 is all about this is when Jeremiah 31 will be fulfilled, that he's going to make an everlasting covenant with you. Even the sure mercies of David. What are the sure mercies of David? Well, we know, David told us, the Lord has sworn in truth, that there's no way this can be reversed. The Lord has sworn, in, this is the sure mercy. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David. He will not turn from it. Of the fruit of David's body will I set upon your throne. So David's descendant is going to sit upon the throne forever. And that's the sure mercy of David. And we see this quoted in Acts. And here Peter says, we declare, uh, I think it's Paul, sorry, we declare unto you good news, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now, no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And there he's quoting Isaiah 55. And so this is solid, that they will have the sure mercies of David, and that is to have this messianic king reigning over them. Chapter 55, verse 4, Behold, I've given him 
the Messiah, for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander to the people. So this is the son of David, as now a leader and a commander to the people. Behold, you shall call a nation that you know not, and nations that knew not you shall run unto you because of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has glorified you. He's glorified you, nobody else. So all the world is going to acknowledge. So first, all the world is going to run after the beast, and that's the time we're heading into. But in the, in the very near future after that, the whole world is going to run after Israel and Judah. They're going to acknowledge that God is in Jerusalem, that these are his people, and, and they're all going to come. We'll see this when we get to Isaiah 65 in detail. But because of the God of Israel has glorified Israel. And, and all these nations, Israel is going to be the center of the earth, as was predicted in Exodus 19. That, that was the whole point, that these people were to be the priestly nation, the head nation of the earth. He says, seek you the Lord while he may be found. So, so this is a, a command now to these people, the remnant, seek you the Lord while he may be found. So time is running out. Call you upon him while he is near. And this is a very familiar scripture that we'll read and sort of generally, you know, just sort of the Christian call to repentance. But it's a very, in, in context, it's very specific to the remnant in the land. That God is coming, you need to acknowledge him while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. Let the wicked, the wicked not being generic, the wicked being the wicked in Israel and Judah, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. So this is not, these are not Gentiles. These are people who are in covenant with the Lord, who've strayed from the covenant, and now they're to return to the covenant. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So, so this is all to do with the mercy of God. So, so they, this covenant that God is in, he will not turn his back on it. He will abundantly pardon. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So the covenant is in place, and this punishment has all happened. They come to repentance, and now they can enter into this new covenant. Why? Because he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. So this is like, don't think like a human being. This is the message to Israel and Judah. Do not think like a human being. God has a plan for you. And despite all your wickedness, he is still going to carry out this plan because he doesn't think like you. And so, yes, he could look at your wickedness and you would never be forgiven. That's the way a human would operate. But because of his word, and he exalts his word above his throne, that he will carry out his word. And so Israel, that we have to comfort Israel and Judah, and we comfort them with this understanding that God will fulfill his word. So my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God is doing something that is beyond the human plane of comprehension. You need to be at the God level to understand this. And then he says this, he comes with a simile. A comparison and the, and the purpose for these comparisons is for us to take something that we know and understand well in order to help us understand something that we don't understand well so what we understand well is this the concept of the rain 
What we don't understand well is how God thinks. And so he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. So now to help us, to help Israel grasp how God thinks, he gives us this comparison. He says, as the rain comes down and snow from heaven and returns not there. You never see rain kind of make it halfway and then do a U-turn. The rain comes, if it's coming down, it comes down. Snow is coming down, it comes down. And returns not there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower. So the rain comes down and it waters the earth that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Okay, we all get that. We get that. Now, let's use that to understand how God thinks. So, in the same way, shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. This is why God's thoughts are not our thoughts, or not Israel's thoughts, and his ways are not the same as Israel. Because in the same way that the rain comes down and it doesn't do a U-turn, it hits the ground and, it, and the ground then brings forth abundance. In the same way, God exalts his word. And so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And what pleases God? The fulfillment of the covenant with Abraham. It shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So God is saying, I, I'm not joking. When I give you my word, when I gave Abraham my word, I'm going to fulfill it. It's impossible for me to lie. And so the word has gone forth. This is going to happen, despite man's best efforts and despite man's horrible failure. So we've got the best efforts of the Gentiles who want to destroy Israel, and we've got Israel who are human filth. Pardon, pardon the expression. But they, they've been given everything, and they've turned their back on God, and they've gone and they've worshipped uh, pagan gods, and they've all kinds of debauchery and idolatry, and, and God just has every right to condemn them. And yet he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. I, I'm going to carry out my word to Abraham. He says here, so, so he says, it's going to accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So what's he talking about? He's talking about Israel. So he explains, we don't have to, what's God talking about? It's right here. For you, that is Israel. And when I say Israel, that includes Judah. You shall go out with joy. This, so the rain, the way the rain comes down and it hits the earth and then the earth just sprouts is the same way God's word comes down and it hits Israel and Judah. And Israel and Judah will sprout. This is, so we can understand what God is doing by simply looking at the, the earth cycle and how the rain comes down and then you just see the, how verdant and how vibrant the earth becomes because of the rain water. This is how Israel is going to be. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace, despite the hatred and, and the, the, the destruction that's going to come upon these people. God's saying, don't worry about it. And he's telling us, comfort his people with this understanding. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And so we can go to Ezekiel chapter 36 to see the specific prophecies around the mountains of Israel. Lest we think that all of these prophecies are going to be fulfilled all around the earth and it doesn't really matter. It matters, the real estate matters a great deal to God. And he's talking about this specific real estate that's going to just be full of joy. 
And so the mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. So as Israel comes back into the land, God is saying that the mountains and the hills are going to just be full of joy as God's people come back into the land and the earth returns to righteousness. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. So this is, wow, this is a real uh, time of incredible joy. After all the devastation, this is where we're heading. And, and we can just see, just go back to chapter 42 to see this, where God says, and the power of his word, I am the Lord, nobody else. So this is the end of all the false gods and the false claims. I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. So, sorry, the glory stays with Israel. Neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So this is, this is the power of prophecy. So God is saying, I've put my word out there. Sit back and watch. And you don't have to do anything. This, this is not you that has to go and slaughter people or go and try and bring all the Jews back to Israel. No. God is going to do this. And he puts his word out there ahead of time to say, this is what I'm going to do. And then he does it. And nobody can stop him. So it's the, the word comes down and it does not return to him void. So we can understand this by watching how the rain comes down and nobody can push it back up. It just comes. And then when it comes, the land springs forth. And so his people are going to spring forth. The final verse here of Isaiah 55, he says, instead of the thorn. So this is very interesting. He says, instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. So, so there was a thorn, <clears throat> and God says, I'm going to replace the thorn with the fir tree. And instead of the brier, which is uh, also a, like a, what we're seeing, nettles here and sharp things, shall come up the myrtle tree. So it's going to go from being harsh and cursed to being blessed. And sort of reversing what we see with Adam, where he was blessed and could freely eat and didn't need money, and could eat and drink, and then he was cursed. And then he, with, the, with, with labor, could he had to eat. Uh, and, and the ground was, was uncooperative. Now this is all being reversed, and the land is going to be very cooperative, and no money is needed, and Israel can eat from all these different trees freely. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign. Everlasting. Isaiah makes it very clear. God is not, God is not going to change his mind, and God is not going to give his glory to another people. It's going to stay with Israel for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And not only is this reversing what we saw in the Garden of Eden, it's reversing the curse that we saw in chapter 5. Sort of the Old Testament Isaiah. Now we come into the New Testament Isaiah, and it's reversing the curse. And we'll just finish here with Isaiah 5. What could have been done more to my vineyard? So God's vineyard are his people, Israel and Judah. And God is saying, what else could I have done that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked, that it should bring forth grapes, it brought forth poisonous grapes. And now, go to, I will tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. So this, he did all, he did every, gave it everything. And then it just was cursed. It was just uncooperative. So God says, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will take away the hedge thereof. I'm going to take away the wall. God believes in walls. I'm going to take away the wall around it, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. And so America, if your um, politicians there get their way and prevent the wall, 
then you're defenseless. But even if your president is able to put up the wall, there's still a curse on Israel. And so these people have already infiltrated. It's kind of too late. You can put up the wall, maybe you can slow things down, but the country has already been infiltrated. It's already rotting from within. So not until God comes, but this is the curse now. He will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. So this is the curse that God is reversing. There shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. And so this curse now, uh, and the, 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 this curse plus the curse of blindness and deafness and rebellion is on Israel until the city is desolate. And then they will come to repentance and then God is going to lift the curses and uh, it's just going to be an eternal, the, the new covenant will be in place and it's going to be an everlasting glory for Israel. So that is Isaiah chapter 55. We've gone uh, 15 chapters or 16 chapters from Isaiah 40 to 55. I think we have a good sense here because Isaiah keeps repeating himself. He makes a statement and comes back to it and then comes back to it. And so uh, I think we, have, we grasp pretty fully the message of second Isaiah. And so what we want to do now, I'm going to ask my brother uh, Murray to join me. And what we want to do now is just um, open this up uh, and let's just have a conversation and see, you know, of what we've covered, what questions are out there, what questions do you have? And um, let me just see here what's happening. And then we will, uh, we will take it from there. Give me a moment just to organize myself a second. And I'll just see if I have Pastor Murray on the line. We'll get there. Are you there, Murray? Great. I can hear you, and I just need people to let us know if they can hear you. So let's see here. Sure. Okay. And let me know if you can see Pastor Murray as well. So can you hear and see? Okay. Is it 21? Wow. Yes. Yes. Okay, so they're saying no sound. Uh, let me see. So can you still hear me? and you're not hearing Murray, or you're not hearing either of us, please uh, confirm. So Murray, they're not hearing us. Let's just see here. Uh, see Murray, but cannot hear him. Okay, Murray, so maybe you can call in on uh, the conference line, and then we'll do it that way. Yeah, uh, let me just give you the number in a second here. So hang on for Murray, he'll be with us in a second. In the meantime, Please uh, get ready with your questions and say that again. Okay, so hang on a second. Yeah, so I'm hearing the cannot hear Murray. So we're going to fix that. Just be patient with us here a second. Uh, yes, actually just keep, stay, stay on the camera. And what we'll do is just go on Zoom. And let me just get this here. So we'll just ask everybody to hang on for us. 
And in the meantime, please remember that next week we are on Thursday evening. So let me see here. New meeting. Start a meeting. Okay. Give me a second, Murray. I'm going to give you this information. So where you said there were some questions there, well, I'm just doing this. Okay, hang on a second. Let me just get this over to you. It's hard for me to do two things at once, Murray. Just send this to you here. Okay, I've sent you a link there, Murray, if you can come through on that, that'll be great. Oh, okay, go ahead then, I'll switch over here. So you can close that down, okay. Let me just fix this. Oops. Pardon me. Okay, so we'll just wait for Murray to dial in here. And there we go. Hi there, Murray. Smartphone connected. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. And I just Perfect. need confirmation from everybody that they Let can hear you as well. Everybody else can hear us now. Let's see here. I'll talk for a little bit here. We do have a uh, question uh, from uh, Brother Michael Deary that we can get to once we confirm that uh, folks can hear me. Okay. So it's usually about a 30 second delay. So we'll just hang on here and let me just get over to Facebook okay. while we wait. <clears throat> so we'll just wait for confirmation, Murray. I'm hearing you clearly. Okay, and I can hear you as well clearly. Okay, yeah, you can hear us. Great. Excellent. So uh, why don't we jump into the question then? Uh, it's from uh, Brother Michael Deary. Um, I need to reconcile some of what you've been presenting with some of our past teachings in the Church of God as it relates to the last great day after the end of the age. Our traditional understanding in the Church of God was that the very dry bones in Ezekiel 37 references everyone who ever lived before Christ returns, who did not have the Holy Spirit, had been taught that they will come up in the resurrection of the dead after the millennium to have the books opened and their opportunity to hear and see what uh, God without blindness at the judgment. As this study of Isaiah reveals and Israel Jerusalem centric focus, is your understanding now that those bones only reference Israelites that died in sin without Christ? Uh, so, and then there's a couple of follow up questions, but why don't, why don't you start with that and, and take that up? Let me uh, just go to that scripture. So that was Ezekiel 37. Oh, sorry. 37, correct. 37? Yeah. Okay. Ezekiel 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones, referencing yeah. our, our past teachings. So let me just go there. In general in nature. Okay. Let's do that. So Ezekiel 37 
says, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. So this valley is full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. So he saw, he went around them and behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. So they've been dead for a very long time. And he said unto me, son of man, can these bones live? So this is like, wow, these bones, there's so many of them and they're very, very dry. And he's walking around and he's seeing this valley of bones. And I answered, oh Lord God, you, I have no idea, you know. And again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God unto these bones, not all bones, but these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I behold, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, and there was no breath in them. Then said unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these, not all, but these, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried, and our hope is lost, and we are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. So I, I think the scripture answers the question here for us, Murray, that the bones, he says very clearly here, these bones are the whole house of Israel. I completely agree. Uh, just a follow-up question then, and one that is, 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 uh, seems obvious is, um, Maybe just uh, a, a briefly touch on uh, the, the, what becomes of the other nations who have died in the past. I think that's something that we're also starting to dig into a little bit as well. What becomes of the other nations that have the, died? The Gentile, the Gentile nations. Yes. How, do, how do they factor into God's plan? Where do they factor? In terms of the resurrection. Correct. Yeah. Yes. In light of, in light of that, again, what Michael's asking, in light of our former, the, what we were taught years ago, that all people were going to come. This is referencing all people. It's clearly, according to the scripture that we just read, the whole house of Israel. But that begs the question, what about everyone else who is a non-Israeli? Yes, so clearly um, Revelation 20 shows us that the first fruits are sitting upon thrones and the rest of the dead, and they reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead, so everybody else who's not first fruits, didn't live again until the thousand years were finished. So we saw a part of the rest of the dead in Ezekiel 37. But that part was the whole house of Israel. So we saw what we're seeing in Ezekiel 37 is the second resurrection that comes after the millennium. So that's Ezekiel 37. 
but that was just part of the dead. So he says the, all, everyone else who is dead is going to come up after the thousand years. So these nations are going to come up in this resurrection. And at this time, they're going to have to acknowledge that the God of the universe is the God of Israel. And just like everybody else through the millennium, they're going to have to come and worship in Jerusalem and acknowledge the God of Jerusalem and uh, at the same time when the th in this period in the second resurrection when the thousand years are finished the millennium's over Satan is also out on the prowl so just like our day today where Satan is out there's just so much deception and people don't know who God is and they don't know who his people are and so they persecute his people then we're going to have a thousand years where people know who God is and, and know who his people are. And then, and then after that, there's going to be this resurrection where the rest of Israel comes up and they're, they're going to be in their land. And then the rest of the nations come up and they have to acknowledge that God is the God of Israel or, or, they, have to, or they will succumb to this deception because he's going to go out and deceive the nations. So these are all these people that have been resurrected, including the ones that lived through the millennium. He's going to be thorough, go through the whole earth to gather them together to battle. So, so this is what he's, this is the great deception at the end. And so they surround the camp of the saints, uh, the beloved city. And as God said, he's going to be a wall of fire to the city. And so a lot of them are going to be destroyed. But those that repent will be those that acknowledge this special covenant between God and Israel. So that's, that's how I would answer that, Murray. And I think what lies at the heart of Michael's question is really what uh, the studies on Isaiah have really all have been really all about. And I think some of our our uh, errant interpretation in the past was that God was completely done with Israel. Therefore, the rest must have to do with the Gentiles, uh, wherein uh, really, as we dig into Isaiah, what we really see is God can't be done with Israel uh, because it would go against everything he has ever said. Exactly. Uh, so it, it must be, we must have just interpreted it a little bit differently. I think this really uh, lines up with the studies in Revelation that we did last year and, um, you know, the discussion that the replacement theology was, was the error. Very good. Very good. Um, other thoughts or comments, uh, Murray? Uh, no other. Um, just a couple of comments from uh, Sister Olivia. Uh, she just... Uh, uh, again, you know, same same discussion point about the Zechariah 14, that uh, uh, they should all come up to Jerusalem even from year to year uh, to keep the feast. And after the battle of Hamagido, uh, there will be survivors who will continue to live in the new age of the Messiah. Uh, so Michael, uh, you know, and then Michael uh, just makes a comment that uh, uh, it must be a misteaching within the COG culture. And I think that's something they've covered uh, throughout the course of these Isaiah studies. Very good, very good. I, I'm not seeing anything here on um, Facebook, but I know there were, because it's live, I can't see the past comments. So there's a lot of comments, sure. but I only see a handful right now. Uh, we do have another question uh, from JB. Uh, in your study on, and she's referencing back to the Isaiah 53 study, you said that atonement has as much to do with this chapter as the Passover. And she would like you to uh, review that part of it. Okay, that's Isaiah um, 53. <clears throat> So here in Isaiah 53, yes. Yeah, so, so this is a, a, a passage that we use a lot during Passover, and appropriately so. 
So here he says, who has believed our report? So this is something that's just unbelievable and nobody believes. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, we being Israel. I think, again, we just genericize this, uh, Murray, and we make it sound like it's just the whole world. And you no, know, this is Israel. So Israel hid their faces from him. He was despised and Israel esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our, that is Israel's griefs, and carried our, that is Israel's sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So they saw him as cursed, when in fact he was coming to relieve their curse. But he was wounded for our transgression. So this is the verse in question, really. That this is something that we're going to, this Passover coming up, Pastor Murray, I, I would plan to read this, I think you would as well, as many of our ministers around the world, and, and just Christian ministers around the world, will read this. Um, in a Passover context, they may have false ministers in an Easter context, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Our is Israel. He was wounded for Israel's transgressions. He was bruised for Israel's iniquities. This is the chastisement of Israel's peace was upon him. So this covenant that God is in with Israel, because of this covenant with Israel, Israel has to go into captivity. Israel has to be exiled from the land. Israel has to be enslaved. Israel has to be slaughtered. Now, unlike the first Exodus, God can't just come down and free Israel from captivity. Because in the first Exodus, they were in captivity for no fault of their own. They were just very, uh, they, they were very fertile and the Pharaoh got paranoid. And because of their fertility, he enslaved them. But it wasn't because of their sin. But the second exodus, they're enslaved because of their sin, according to the covenant. So God can't just go back on his covenant and free them. And so the only way he can free them is this solve this conundrum, is that Christ came as the representative of Israel. And he lived perfectly by the law, so that he had every right to the covenant promises, including the land. But instead of inheriting the promises in the land, he took instead all of the chastisement of the covenant upon himself, totally innocent. He took the chastisement of the covenant upon himself and said, if Israel will accept him as their savior, they can now inherit the blessings of the covenant. So God is truthful and faithful to his covenant, both as far as the curses go and as far as the blessings go because of this mysterious suffering servant. And so rather than just think of this strictly in a Passover sense, which is very individualized, each one of us personally accepts Jesus Christ as our savior. And then we eat the bread and we drink the wine in this personal relationship with God. But in the same way, in the context of Isaiah, the difference between Passover and atonement, the atonement was for the nation. And so when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, the whole nation was on the edge of their seats holding their breath and waiting to see if the high priest would come out and if God would accept the repentance of the nation. And so this is our high priest now being accepted by God so that the nation can be forgiven. 
and the nation can be at one with God. And we know that this, you know, the atonement, and I think we may have said in the past, that atonement is when, you know, trumpets pictures the return of Christ, and then atonement pictures the world being at one with Christ. But we know that the world will not be at one with Christ. We just read in Revelation 20, even after a thousand years, the world is still not at one with Christ. And our sister Olivia just read for us Zechariah 14, where this is after the um, return of Christ. So this is after trumpets. This is after atonement and going into now tabernacles. And the prophecy in Zechariah says that it will come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and keep the feast of tabernacles. So that's great. Sounds like everybody's at one. But then verse 17 says, It shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt, Muslim family, does not go up, and come not, they will have no rain. There will be a plague upon them, wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that refuse to come to worship the Lord in, 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 at the Feast of Tabernacles. So th th this does not indicate the world is at one. You know who is at one? His people. He's gathered them from the four corners of the earth. He's placed them in the land. He is now at one with his people. And it is that at one with his people that enables him now to usher in the millennium where the rest of the nations can actually learn about him. So, so I think Isaiah 53 is very important that we look at it personally and use it during Passover. But I think it's also important that we, we see it uh, at the macro level where this is all about God being at one with his people so that he can bring salvation to the rest of the world, which is not yet at one with him. Yeah, completely agree, and uh, I think that's uh, coming to light uh, more and more as we, as Isaiah seems to, uh, uh, really be adding a lot of color to our understanding of the holy days, um, and that really goes right back to understanding that the, the first fruits, which can now include Gentiles uh, uh, for a short period of time, and the initial subset of people grafted back into Israel, so that um, you know that this is that that personal calling uh, uh, relative to the Passover. That are developing this first roots that will then uh, help Jesus Christ usher in the next phase, which is gathering all of Israel back, which becomes then that national uh, uh, concept that we see in the Exactly right. And I'm just seeing a comment here from Joe Ferguson. He writes that Mark 6:11 also mentions a future time of judgment for Israel, uh, or sorry, for Gentiles. Let's just quickly look at that. Mark 6:11, and let's just see this here. Sorry, I'm just going to put the scripture up, Mary. Sure. Mark 6, Mark 11. 6, and whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when you depart thence shall shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So yeah, that's actually indicate that is a future indication that in the future, that city that rejects, although I think um, these cities are Israelite cities, so I'm not sure that these are Gentiles because he's, I think he sent them to the cities of Israel. Yeah, the, at this point he would, yes. not have, uh, he would not have sent them past uh, Jerusalem at this point. That, right. come, that doesn't come until um, Acts, 
then extends the uh, sending to Very good. Uh, Judea and then the rest of Samaria and the rest of the world. Very good. Um, I do have a question here, and I do appreciate uh, Sister Olivia uh, a few of her comments, uh, adding some uh, some of the some answers there to some of the folks there. Um, we have uh, Sister Marion um, saying, "What happens to all of the people uh, that are alive when Jesus returns? All of the Gentile people that are alive when Jesus returns?" Yeah, so there we we see that they're going to be. Zechariah fourteen showed us they're going to be. Uh, Actually, Zechariah 14, but also Isaiah 25. I think we may have spent some time there. But uh, in Isaiah 25, let me again just put the scripture up. <clears throat> Isaiah 25, he says here, um, here in verse, verse 7, he says, well, let's go to verse 6. In And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people, so everyone's included. This is so he has his people, but then he's going to have this feast for everybody. The, the, in this mountain shall the Lord of Hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow. So just the best of meats and the best food. It's going to be a big feast. No no expense spared. Of wines on the lees, well refined. So the best wine, and he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people. So, so there's this covering that's been over Israel, but there's also been this covering that's been over all people. And so through the desolation and the devastation, the, the veil that's over Israel and Judah, that will be lifted. And then when God returns and his people are at one with him, and then he hosts this feast, he says he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. So it's going to be a time, the millennium is going to be a time when the whole earth is going to acknowledge and, and, and know who God is, who his people are, and the whole world is going to be working together in unity while Satan is away. And, and, and the God's people are at one with him, and God is here on earth, and the whole, it's just going to be blessing upon blessing. And we, in the family of God, are going to be overseeing this whole operation on the earth. And I think that brings to light uh, what Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, that uh, each in his own order, that God right. has a certain plan, and it's God-ordained, and uh, we can't be offended if uh, it doesn't meet our liking, or Very it seems uh, Judeo-centric. Um, it, it's God's plan, and he's ordained it from the very beginning. He hasn't wavered from it, and as, as we talk about uh, throughout the study in Isaiah, um, God is true to his word, and it's something that... that uh, should give us confidence and, and peace and calm um, throughout all that and just knowing that uh, um, everyone does have his own order that's just how God ordained it. Exactly and it's like he says in Isaiah again you know shall the shall the clay say to the potter what are you doing and the potter does what he wants with the clay and uh, for us to be human to be alive to be blessed by God let's just be grateful and I think uh, I think ingratitude is one of the worst traits in human beings and so, Absolutely. and it's funny that, you know, if, if, if we had all the blessings, let's say we're Gentiles and we have all the blessings that God wants to give us, but there is no Israel. There's just God and the Gentile nations with these blessings. Everybody would be thrilled. But the moment they realize that, wait, how come they're so blessed? They're blessed so much more than us. Then all of a sudden, all the blessings we have, we don't care about them anymore. 
because we're, we're unhappy that somebody has more blessings than we do. And this is a, right. a, a real unfortunate flaw in human beings. Yes, yeah, that recalls to mind that uh, um, uh, experiment with the monkeys. Yeah. They were given, um, I don't remember what they were initially, a carrot or something. They were given a um, cucumber. A cucumber. And yes. then the one monkey that got a grape, everyone was, all the monkeys were not jealous of the grape, even though they were completely satisfied with the cucumber. And they hated the cucumber after that. They didn't want, they threw it back in the experimenter's face. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, let me check the, uh, the chat again here. Uh, no other questions. Uh, so far maybe uh, while you're doing that um just your thoughts murray on some of the content that we've covered and uh you know particularly i think it was last week we talked about the son of the bond woman and the son of the free woman and how paul yeah. used that as a as an allegory to then talk about the new covenant and the old covenant and i think uh i think when you uh I invite people to go to last week's study and look at that again where uh you broke down um uh, when we were in Isaiah 54, and how uh, Paul wrote that all down in Galatians chapter 4 uh, relative to, um, uh, uh, well, her name slips my, uh, Ishmael's, Ishmael's mother, um, name slips my mind. Um, anyway, uh, Isaiah, or uh, Sarah's handmaiden uh, that bore, bore her, uh, bore Abraham, uh, Ishmael, the son of the bondwoman versus uh, the son of Gromis, which was Isaac. And it was it was fascinating when you went back into uh, Genesis, all the way back to Genesis 12 and into Genesis 20 and Genesis 27, uh, that that really showed the, the, uh, God's promises through Isaac, uh, as we just talked about, was God ordained and each in his own order. It was the way it was going to be. And, uh, and initially Ishmael couldn't accept that and develop the hatred uh, for Isaac. And then uh, combining that with, with the, um, the, the intermarriage with, uh, Isaac, with Esau's line and the hatred against Jacob and the, again, those promises being passed to the second born uh, again, uh, down to Jacob that this intermarrying of Esau's line into Ishmael's line developed the, the extreme uh, hatred that we see uh, all the way through to today, which is, again, what uh, where we see the concept of Edom. And there was a question about who Edom was, and, and Sister Libby did answer that for Brother Mark. Um, and, and we see that extended all the way down to today uh, with regard to that. So I thought that was a, a fascinating uh, a, a fascinating uh, review of uh, from Genesis into Isaiah, all the way through Paul and Galatians. That, and all the way, into, and all the way into Revelation as well, Murray. Uh, yes. Hagar is the one we were trying to think of there. Hagar, of course, yeah. yes. And um, the other thing to me is it, it makes sense that Satan would stimulate hatred in these people because they have a sense that this we've been robbed, right? We've, we've been hard done by. This is rightfully ours. And so when, when we focus on the land of Jerusalem and the covenant promises with Jerusalem, it, it just makes sense that these are the people that are going to go in there and say, this is ours. And Ezekiel 35 shows that, you know, they, they've, they've grabbed the ancient lands and they've, they've rejoiced in that. And also in Malachi, I find it fascinating that God singles out these people to say they will be known as the border of wickedness forever. So to me, Absolutely. you know, who can exceed this? Who, who can displease God more 
than to be known as the border of wickedness forever. So the Antichrist must come out of these people for them to get that moniker that this, they will be known forever as the border of wickedness and the people with whom the Lord has indignation forever. I mean, that's quite some label that God is giving these people. Who, who, who exceeds that? How is it even possible to exceed that, that label? It certainly is, and uh, it really stems all the way back to a point that you made last week, that, uh, again, God doesn't waver, and uh, those who curse his people, he will curse. And uh, uh, they, brought, they brought God's hatred on themselves uh, simply by not, not uh, following God's, God's way and understanding who the Son of Promise was and, and how uh, salvation uh, and, the, and how the blessings will, will come, and that is through Abraham, Isaac. Exactly. You know what strikes me as well, Murray, is um, Isaiah is such a big book, uh, such a complex book, that the Jews themselves, when Christ came, even though Isaiah speaks repeatedly about the servant, they completely missed it because it was hidden in Isaiah. I think in the same way we have to be careful that we are not missing what's happening right before our eyes because it's hidden in Isaiah. And I think combing through Isaiah line by line is teasing out these prophecies that we would normally just miss because we don't treat Isaiah this way. We just go in and grab a familiar verse and carry on. And so when in, we just read in chapter 53, and the prophet asks, who has believed our report? Well, if we haven't read the report, it's going to be very hard to believe it. And so I think we have to be very careful not to fall into the same trap as the Jews, unfamiliar with Isaiah, and therefore not believing the report. And so when John himself was not even believing and says, you know, are you the one or do we look for another? Christ pointed him back to Isaiah. And said, go and tell John these things so that he will go to Isaiah and figure this out. Thoughts or comments on that? Yeah, for, absolutely. And I think, um, I think it all revolves, stems from what God, uh, throughout the New Testament, calls the mysteries of the kingdom. And it's interesting that uh, throughout the New Testament, the most quoted uh, book is Isaiah. Uh, yes. Because they also do hold the mysteries of the kingdom. And I think that's a, a warning uh, for God's people today not to get haughty or comfortable with what we know and to constantly be digging into his word and, and um, peeling back the onion and digging deeper and digging deeper. Um, and obviously uh, what we've done here in Isaiah is, is a testament to that um, versus uh, what has traditionally been taught um, in these circles that uh, we, simply, uh, we simply must continue to dig deeper and that's what makes the kingdom of God and, and all those teachings such a mystery, is that it requires work, it requires those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Yeah, exactly. It is, a, and I think that's really important to acknowledge it's a mystery, meaning we can't take God for granted. And I think even what you referred to earlier, where you know the, the, the blessing and the right should go to the firstborn, but you can't take God for granted. He will do what he wants, and he'll give it to whom he wants, and he'll call whom he wants. And many are called, but few are chosen. And so I think those chosen are the ones that don't take God for granted. And we're hungering and thirsting and digging, and we're not getting arrogant, but we're just trying to understand what's there. And I think you know, we may be mistaken at times, but that's okay. That's part of the growth process, as long as we're digging. 
So here's a, a follow-up question from uh, uh, Michael. And, and Mark, uh, maybe just before you read that, um, I just sure. have a question for those on the chat. And it's uh, Sister Lena and Lady Tex. Well, I haven't seen them for a long time. So maybe on the chat, if anybody knows who they are or where they are, be just interested to know if they're still with us because I, I do miss mm. their, their contributions. Sorry about that, Mark. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great uh, point. We uh, uh, often talk about the, uh, the electronic right. congregation we have on the, the chat line that uh, the same folks there yet. Yeah, just remain and make text of uh, have not seen them in, in a little bit, so hopefully they're okay. Um, so from uh, Michael, uh, as a missionary, he said, I'm curious as to a perception I got that the gospel of the good news should be preached only to the house of Israel and not to pagan nations. Uh, did, did he misconstrue that? So. Uh, comments about um, uh, our our uh, requirement to preach uh, to the house of Israel, but also to uh, anyone else who will listen. I'm just going to look up a scripture here, Murray. I don't know if you want to tackle that, but um, uh, what I wanted to just say, just a couple of scriptures that I would raise on this, and then maybe you could let me know what you think. Sure. In Matthew 10:23, this is where Christ says, but when they persecute you in this city, flee you into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. So, so there is an instruction from Christ, and he also said, excuse me, I have not come but to the house, the lost um, sheep of the house of Israel. But then here we see um, in Acts 1, when after his death, burial, and resurrection, that when he's with his disciples for 40 days, uh, instructing them and teaching them, that they then ask, you know, is this the time then? Okay, we get it. Or is this the time? So they're, they're told to stay in Jerusalem until they receive the Holy Spirit. And they want to know, are you this, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because the, Israel, the, kingdom belong, the kingdom of God belongs to Israel. And they're very clear about that. And Christ was very clear about that. And they understood him. So they said, okay, when we receive this power, is this when it all happens? And you restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said unto them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. So it begins in Jerusalem, spreads through Judea, includes Israel, because going out now to Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So the, the, the gospel message must go first to Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we see here in Matthew 24 that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. And that's what he was telling them to do. Preach this to all the world as a witness unto all nations and then shall the end shall come. So Israel and Judah are captive in all these nations, and they're going to be gathered from all these nations, from the four corners of the earth. But the people who are um, subjugating them, enslaving them and slaughtering them, they also need to be warned and told to repent. And so this gospel of the kingdom being restored to Israel, this good news to Israel, this comfort message to Israel, must go to Israel throughout all the earth, because they're spread out and also it must go to the gentile nations because of their anti-christic behavior 
So those are the scriptures that I would point to uh, Murray to to address the. Um, and I would in, I, I I would include Matthew twenty eight. I think you may have made a reference to that. I, I didn't actually. Let me go there. Matthew twenty eight. And is that at the end, at the bottom? Verse nineteen. Yeah. Go yeah. therefore and make disciples of all the nations, right. baptizing them in baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Excellent. I think the point being um, is um, that it is through Israel that people will be saved. Right. through Jesus Christ. And, you know, you go back to Zechariah 14, and if you do not keep the feast, if you do not keep the Sabbath, you do not uh, worship God, but we God expects to worship, which is what he revealed to Israel, uh, then uh, this is not simply uh, come and worship me the way you would like. Um, this is, uh, it's certainly open to Gentiles at this point. And, you know, the instruction here is to go to all nations, uh, first to the Jews, then to, then beyond. Um, so it's certainly not something we can ignore, but it is to teach them to come to Christ and that the covenant remains with Israel. So I think it's more a case of Israel is not, is not lost and forgotten, uh, but now it's an opportunity for Gentiles at this point to also be grafted in as well. Right on. Right on. I see a question here on Facebook by Christy asking, who is Gog and Magog? Uh, we reference them in Revelation 20, and they're also referenced, I believe it's in Ezekiel 37. Uh, big question, lots of uh, different opinions on this. Uh, I certainly have an opinion on it as well, but it's a big question. Uh, Christy, you seem to ask the big questions uh, that require a bit more uh, background and context. So I'd like to um, put that one on hold. And I think when we cover 56 next week, it'll give us an opportunity to, uh, to speak about Gog and Magog as well. So I'm going to put that one on hold. Perfect. Uh, we'll look forward to that as well. Uh, William, uh, Brother William did say that uh, he sees Bridget, and I assume Bridget would be late text uh, on YouTube once in a while, but he also has not seen uh, Sister Luna in a few weeks. So hopefully, uh, ladies, uh, if you're out there, uh, let us know you're okay. And uh, certainly miss you. And in the meantime, we can be praying for them just to ensure that they are Absolutely. okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts or comments, uh, Pastor Murray, from you? Um, you know what? Not uh, uh, Just, a, I guess, a couple of comments. Um, just a reminder that um, uh, the, the themes that we're running through here are pretty consistent. Um, they seem repetitive, and you used that word yourself at the end of the study today, but that's because they're so important. That uh, we can't uh, lose track of them. And Israel is so important to God uh, that uh, He wants to be clear. And I think this is uh, clarifying a lot of a lot of gaps um, that uh, may have been there in in, in uh, previous teachings. Uh, and this has just sort of helped to clarify uh, some of those questions that we that didn't quite line up. So definitely appreciate that. Uh, and um, you know, go all the way back to Isaiah one. Uh, where God uh, simply wants to reason with his people. This is not a, uh, it is only when we, when we are so disobedient and so uh, um, uh, uh, so, just, so just so disobedient that God, God requires or, or needs to, to treat us uh, a little more harshly, but all he really wants to do is he says, is, you know, come and let us reason together. Let's, let's, let's talk about how you're sinning. Let's talk about the, the way to get right with me. And um, he's, been, he's been patient for a long time. And uh, at some point, that patience uh, uh, 
you have run out uh, for reasons that we've studied. So yeah. Yeah. again, uh, message to to all of Israel and all of anyone else who's listening around that that there there is only one way to salvation and to avoid some of what we read uh, and that what you covered in in Revelation that is is through Jesus Christ the suffering servant of Israel. And I think for me, Murray, what kind of stands out for me is the power and precision of God's Word. And I think that as we get more precise with God's Word, we can have absolute conviction. I think if we're confused and we're a bit wishy-washy with God's Word, it's hard to have absolute conviction. It's like, yeah, I know God is there, but I'm not really sure. Whereas if we know, like, this is exactly what God says. He says it beforehand. It happens exactly as He says. And then if he says that, look, these terrible things are going to happen in the earth, and then these wonderful things are going to happen, then we can look, as the terrible things are happening precisely as he said, then we can look forward to the wonderful things with, with the confidence that we actually see the horrible things happening with. And that's what I think gives us the ability to then comfort his people, the, the physical tribes of Israel and Judah, because we have this confidence in his word and in his integrity to his word. And I think, I think um, to that point, uh, something that has that been very clear is that uh, God is consistent throughout his prophets. Uh, all of his prophets are exactly. saying the same thing. They're all saying and, the same thing. Um, it, it was interesting, last week you went to Isaiah, you went to Jeremiah, you went to Ezekiel, but then in previous weeks you've gone to Amos, you've gone to Joel, you've gone to Habakkuk. God to Zephaniah, you've got to Zechariah, you've got to Malachi. Um, everything lines up. Exactly. And um, even today, when you were talking about uh, Europe and, uh, and, and Arabia and those beasts, that points right to Revelation 13 and everything we spoke about, with the beast of the sea and the beast of the land, right. and how the beast of the land will support the beast of the sea. And we're seeing that all played out now. Uh, so God's word is magnificent. Uh, and again, the more we study it, the more we rely on it, the more it gives us confidence. And despite all this chaos going on around us, uh, seemingly every day now, uh, we, can, we can have peace, have peace and peace of mind throughout that and, and look forward to his, his coming. Amen to that. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Murray, for your support and taking time out this evening to do the chat and the live Q&A. And uh, brethren, what a mighty God we serve. Uh, let's praise him. Let's be faithful to him. Let's proclaim this gospel, a shout it from the rooftops without apology. Christ is Lord. Amen. Good night, Pastor Murray. Amen.